fix it. You run Barter Town. You fix. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It's the night that the lights went out in Bartertown. And before I get too far into a Vicki Lawrence parody, I'll say that we're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 42, which begins with the lights in Bartertown flickering and going out, and it ends with Auntie telling her guards to retrieve Master from the pig pit. You may not be able to trust your soul to a backwoods southern lawyer, but you can count on Andy Nelson and Steve Sarmento from the Next Real Film podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, it's great to be here. Welcome. Happy Friday, gentlemen. You have reached the end of the week with us. Thank you for coming along. We made it. We made it through the desert. To the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to make a on a horse with no name joke. Oh, that. <laughs> okay, there's still time. There's still time. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, forget Julia said that. I'm going to leave it in the edit. I'm going to put it on the listeners to forget that because that's going to be one of my episode openers coming on down the line. Okay. I thought about that at the same time. That I've you had were. that song stuck in my head all day. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Oh, America. There's a, a British band named America. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Get such a kick out of that. As I mentioned, Bartertown is having a bit of a power issue this evening. The lights are flickering, the Atomic Cafe and the Thunderdome signs go out, and even Auntie's Penthouse, which is the very last thing to go dark. Even that, you hear the movie sound effect of power just draining out of a system, just kind of like Obi-Wan killing the tractor beams on the Death Star, but that's neither here nor there. Everything in this place has gone dark, and it's made worse by the fact that it is nighttime, so no one can see anything. Yeah, it makes you wonder what is actually going on in Underworld I, I mean, it was obviously working all day long. Did did Master like hit a switch that all of a sudden like made everything go go awry or <laughs> and start shooting flames up or, or or does it something like some wheels that have to get turned? Like what's actually happening that's shutting down everything? Yeah, that's a good question. I I wondered how that you know how Auntie knew it was not an embargo mm-hmm. because we've seen him previously sort of flex his muscle, you know, figuratively to show that he's in charge. And to me, it would make sense after everything that happened in Thunderdome and the death of Blaster that you think Master would try to assert his power after, you know, the whole reveal of Avanti's, you know, whole scheme with Max that he would maybe throw an embargo on to remind her, hey, I'm still in charge. And so I'm, I was kind of curious. But then we see that Iron Bar is there overseeing things. So then I thought, ah, okay, clearly she has now sort of asserted herself into Underworld by, you know, Iron Bar is present there so that we get, I thought, okay, that's how she knows this isn't an embargo because now her people are down there trying to take charge of everything. To the lay person just walking around Barter Town, they experienced an embargo the day before. Yes. And so this being the next night, they're probably just really frustrated. Oh, no, it's another embargo. But as we cut down to Underworld, you can see that machine is clearly on fire. Yes. That is not how it's supposed to go. And 
I have to wonder if there are specific maintenance jobs that need to take place on a daily basis to keep that machinery running. And because of the political shakeup in Underworld, that those processes were not completed. I suspect that it's very similar to Max and his cars, where he sets a booby trap that if you don't do the right things in the right order, it's going to blow. I suspect that Master has booby trapped the system so that if anything doesn't get done in the right order, the system won't work. And as a consequence, it has now caught on fire. Mm -hmm. And he was not going to volunteer that information, which is his way in his lowered status, pardon the pun, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's his way of inflicting an embargo Yeah, by not telling his secrets. When Max was in Underworld scoping everything out before the Thunderdome fight, there were people actively helping Master Blaster to maintain those machines. And I don't think we really see them after this point. No, if they were loyal to Master Blaster and they heard what happened, whether they saw it or heard it through the grapevine, because somebody still had to be working, they probably skadoodled pretty quick. Yeah, they probably saw the writing on the wall and ran. And when it's just Master, a couple of guards, and Iron Bar, there's probably just not enough hands around to keep everything up and running. Right. And this is skilled work. You need to know what you're doing. They obviously aren't paying attention to, I mean, we're not going to see in this minute, but paying attention to the their quote, prisoners either. Because, I mean, Pig Killer is still here somewhere. We just don't see him right now. So it is interesting. There are a lot fewer people here. I wasn't paying attention to that. But it is just Master and Auntie's guards. So it's, uh, if they don't know, and I like the idea that you have, Julia, of the of the rigged system that, that they have down here. And that Master still has some, I guess you could say, kind of an upper hand, even though, unfortunately for him, he's just not exactly of the stature to really face any of these guys. No, but he's the he's the smart one. You know, he's the brains of the outfit. So, I mean, he still knows his, his strength. You know, he's not going to do it. They're going to threaten him. But he's in a position where if they if they kill him, they're in no better position. They're not going to be able to figure this out. So he's trying to leverage, you know, his knowledge and expertise his survival is going to depend on that. It's, he's got to maintain his value mm-hmm. to Auntie right now. That's it's sort of how he's going to have to leverage this. So, yeah, I'm not going to do anything. You guys think you 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 want a control of of Underworld? You think that's part of our town? Great. Here, it's yours. And he's going to sit back and watch this whole thing fail. And then they're going to have to come to him, which puts him back into a position of power, which is what he's been used to. So it's an interesting dynamic that uh, that he's playing here. Uh, he doesn't have the muscle behind it, but he still has a certain amount of power in his knowledge of the operations of Underworld. Yeah, it's a bold strategy, Steve. I don't yeah. think it's going to pay off. No, well, <laughs> it is barter town. Yeah. Instead of providing Master with someone else to ride on the back of, they have tied a rope around Master's upper body, and they are just holding on to him almost like a marionette or some sort of string puppet. And as we join them down here in Underworld, you can see that one of the guards has him strung up on a pulley, even. And they bring him over to Iron Bar, and Iron Bar comes in, tenderly kisses Master on the cheek, and whispers, fix it. And Master fires back, very arrogant as always, you run Barter Town, you fix. And I have... A continuing issue with how Master tries to throw his weight around. He makes threats and he says things, but he doesn't do them from a position of power, which ultimately results in Iron Bar pointing downwards and Master is lowered in amongst the pigs. 
Yeah, that's a horrific place to be, especially, uh, uh, you know, well, it's it, as we previously discussed. Yeah, it's nasty down there. But then when you are no taller than those pigs, it's not only being, you know, knee deep, at least in, you know, pig manure, but being trampled to death or, you know, eaten mm-hmm. by those pigs. So it's it's a it's a, a dangerous spot for Master to be in. Because I recall the first time seeing this, I thought, well, they're lowering him down in the pigs. Oh, why, why is that so, you know, scary to him? But then once he gets down there, you see that, yeah, he's he's not standing above these pigs. He he can be trampled easily. Yeah, Angelo Rosito is only 2 foot 11 inches yeah. or 89 centimeters tall. Yeah. Those pigs are his size. Yeah. Even larger oh, when you factor yeah. in that they're on all fours. They easily just knock him over, trample him in the manure, and yeah, that's not a pleasant place to be. It's a, it's a very, very large fall that he has taken from being, you know, up in a position, you know, sort of symbolically of being in the position of authority to now we're lowering you down to the pigs into the filth, and that's... That's your place mm-hmm. now is down there. That's that's the value that we perceive you as having is you're, you're no better than these pigs in this manure. You're not useful to us. And watching him go down, uh, it's it's like about half of the time when he's coming down, when, when we're at the low shot where the camera's down in and amongst the pigs as Master is being lowered, it starts from him looking like he's acting terrified to all of a sudden as he gets into the pigs, like, no, this is the guy really terrified of being actually trampled <laughs> yes. by these pigs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Angelo Rosito was not a young man by the time yeah. that they filmed this movie. He was, I think, up in, in his 70s. 70s. Yeah. yeah. So That's crazy. you don't imagine spending your twilight years as an actor being lowered <laughs> on the end of a string into a room full of hundreds of pigs. <laughs> yeah. It's just not something you think you're going to do that day. And no, clearly I... they did it many times because when you when they when they cut it's it's a it's kind of a, a film gaff where he's already covered in all the pig filth. You know, it, mm-hmm. he wasn't earlier, but then you see. So clearly the poor guy had to get dunked uh, a good number of times to get the shot. Oh, I can imagine just George Miller saying, "No, no, no, we're going to have to do that one more time. No, just one more time, and just <laughs> really, how many times into the pigs?" Oh, it's horrible. Well, at least he wasn't Kubrick. It wasn't hundreds of times. (laughs) I forget where I read this, but I remember reading somewhere that when they first put Angela Rosito in amongst the pigs, the pigs were actually too gentle with him, that they were giving him space and not crowding in on him like they're doing in this shot. And so a lot of the stuff that's smeared on him is meant to attract the pigs. Oh, interesting. So not only (laughs) are they physically lowering their actor into this situation, they've also slathered him with stuff to make the pigs more aggressive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Filmmaking at its finest. (laughs) (laughs) They always were a little rough with their actors. This is how George Miller does things. Right. (laughs) You could argue that Angela Rosito should have counted himself lucky that he wasn't tied to the back of a stuntman by a belt carrying a 170-pound camera going 100 kilometers an hour. (laughs) Right, yeah. I'm mixing my measurements there, but I really don't care at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure which I'd rather do. It's like the wheel. (laughs) The George Miller wheel. Right, yeah. It's it's rough to (laughs) watch this happen. 
As difficult as it is to consider Andrew Lorizito in there amongst the pigs, I still have no sympathy for the character of Master because of how he treated Blaster when Blaster was alive. I see him getting dunked in amongst the pigs as fitting punishment for how he treated this person that was very differently abled than him, mentally speaking, mostly. And that's what's a, a little odd about this film is is how Master kind of transitions from being this the the bad guy in Bartertown, if if Auntie's like one bad and he's a different bad, um, but then how he's gonna transition in the film. It's kind of an odd place with this character. And I, that's one of the things with the movie is is some of these characters, like him and Pig Killer and stuff, you never really fully quite understand exactly where they're where they're at in relationship with uh, with the story and with Max and and are they going to be are they actually on the good guy's side or are they you know is it are they in it for themselves it's kind of an interesting game that they're playing with some of the motivations people have i think the whole setup the way things are presented to us you you get more of who auntie is so i think as an audience you sympathize with her more because you you have a sense of here's someone who's trying to establish civilization whereas master for him, at least it seems, it's it's all about power and his ego and being recognized to be a powerful and important man. And that's really what I see as his sort of driving factor, which makes it, I think, uh, an interesting twist for his fall. And we don't feel as sympathetic because, you know, he's always comes off as, as this braggart, you know, and nobody can push him around. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't compromise. It's just his way or that's it. He's very stubborn. And I think that sort of feeds into and lends itself to the lack of sympathy we have versus auntie at this point, which is I'm trying to maintain order in a chaotic world. And that that is a value and it's important for us to continue to survive. We need to have order. We need to be civilized. And that plays for me into the sympathy that we have for her and what she's trying to accomplish. So this sort of power play, yeah, I, to me, master is the bad guy in this uh, scenario, just because we have, I think, less sympathy for for him and what he's trying to accomplish. That reminds me of another Harry Potter thing. There is a scene in, I think it's book six, where Harry's learning about Voldemort's past and he learns that his mother allowed herself to die rather than save her own life to be there for Tom Riddle, to be his mother. And Harry started to feel sympathy for Tom Riddle. And he was with Dumbledore at the time. And Dumbledore kind of like clarified, do, do you feel bad for him? Harry immediately reeled back and said, no, of course I don't feel bad for him. And I think what Dumbledore was thinking is the same thing that I'm thinking, that of course you feel bad for him. It's okay to feel sympathy for the bad guy, even if they're super duper bad, like Voldemort, or if they're just mediumly bad, like master, it's okay to have sympathy for them and still see them as the bad guy. The main sin of the villains in this movie is pride. Master has too much pride and uses that to throw his weight around. And Auntie has, I would say, an equal amount of pride in that she doesn't want to be deposed in any way. We've said before that Auntie spent a lot of time and energy after the collapse to build up Bartertown, and that whatever alliances she made along the way are now starting to wear thin. And so she is just the hero of the wasteland trying to preserve this bastion that she's built up, and in trying to preserve it, she's becoming villainous. 
I mean, we've explored that before. Well, that's a great point. It's that whole idea of, you know, the villain of a film is always going to, in their own eyes, they're always going to see themselves as the good guy in their story. Mm -hmm. And certainly, uh, Auntie is very much that. She is kind of the good guy of Bartertown. She's created this society. She's made it uh, something that's sustainable and people are, are surviving. And uh, yes, it's kind of a, a strange little game show system that she's created, but it's working for everybody that's here. Mm -hmm. It's just now it's it's kind of gotten herself and she's gotten herself into a place where she is very um, uh, pigeonholed, I guess you could say, on trying to keep it going down the same track so that she can stay in power. And it does uh, end up creating problems for her. Well, see, people out in the wasteland have just got to learn when this guy Max shows up, don't let him in because everything falls apart. For them, you know, Road Warrior is like, no, no, we're fine. Oh, this Max guy comes in and like, that's like the worst thing that happens for them. And here it's like, you've got Barter Town. Things are fine. Max shows up and like completely undermines their society. Things just go off the rails. He's, if he shows up outside your house, do not let this man in because he's going to say, oh, I just, I just need this one thing and then I'll be on my way. But somehow the consequences are going to completely unravel your society. If you've got a scale, if you've got any sort of balance in your wasteland society, and this is going all the way back to the first movie, if you've got any semblance of balance, Max is going to show up and throw that balance completely off. In the first movie, you've got the motorcycle gang, you've got the MFP, they're fairly isolated from each other, they're not usually bothering each other then max and goose show up throw that balance completely off suddenly those two factions are rubbing up against each other and max ends up completely obliterating that gang in the second movie you've got max coming upon this relative stalemate between the compound and humongous's horde he sides with the compound and then suddenly things are exploding tankers are overturning people are dying left and right and in this situation he's come across another stalemate between two factions and now everything's just thrown out of whack that's because he's mad see <laughs> which we definitely see in this scene that it has only been half a day mm -hmm. it's only been less than 24 hours since blaster was killed and things are already falling apart yeah it happens really fast that auntie realizes or that Auntie is presented with the consequences of what she has done. Okay, I have an interesting question for everybody. Obviously, Master is still obstinate because it was exposed to him that Auntie and Max made a deal. If Max had gone through the deal, killed Blaster, not revealed that he was working for Auntie, and Master was just left without Blaster around, would he necessarily be this obstinate in that situation? Hmm. Are you proposing the Indiana Jones hypothesis of uh, if things had gone this way, would it have mattered? Is, are we in a place where whether or not the deal got revealed, would things play out the same for Master and Auntie? Is that sort of the root of your question? It kind of is. Yeah. I know yeah. people hate it when I use the phrase what if, yeah. but I'm generally curious what <laughs> everyone thinks. Yeah. Would this situation have humbled Master to the point of being able to be worked with? That's it's an interesting proposal. I I don't know from what I've seen of Master. I mean, he's he obviously negotiates a little bit because most of the time it seems like they're working in conjunction, and it's only when he's really upset, it seems like he that's when he throws down with his embargoes. So I feel like if he legitimately thought he lost, I kind of feel like he would more willingly be going along with it. Yeah, I, I agree, because I think the the pushback he gets is, you know, 
it's from the sense of being wronged. Whereas, you know, losing mm-hmm. a fair fight, you know, as fair a fight as it can be in Thunderdome, but again, going by the rules, if everybody's playing by the rules and that's the outcome that the Max wins and walks out of town the victor, leaving Master without Blaster, uh, he loses his muscle. Yeah, I, I could see him being a little bit more compliant because that's the rules of Barter Town, and that's the agreement that everybody has, sort of the social contract that they've all agreed to. So, yeah, I think the, the defiance here is he's he knows he's been played, he feels wronged and taken advantage of, and that's where we're going to get, you know, sort of his, his uh, defiance. Julia, what do you think? I think that... It would depend on Iron Bar, partly, because Iron Bar has been put in charge, which if it was a fair fight and Master was still in charge of Underworld, Iron Bar wouldn't be in charge. But the way that Iron Bar is treating Master, very condescending, Mm -hmm. very condescending, I think that treatment probably would have been the same whether Master thought it was a fair fight or not. And if Iron Bar is treating him that way, I think... Master is going to reciprocate by being less than cooperative about running Underworld. That's a good point. They there's definitely animosity there. Um, maybe maybe it would last. Maybe Master would kind of go along with them for a little bit. But yeah, I mean, if Iron Bar is acting this way the whole time, just knowing how how uh, Master acts, it might not take too long for him to uh, to try to throw down again. Yeah, I guess you've got Iron Bar. <laughs> Who's the only person that Iron Bar can pick on that's smaller than him? And that's Master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine that had the deal gone down perfectly, as Auntie expected, she might have actually given Master a new personal assistant, because that seems to be the best way to describe Blaster as Master's personal assistant but she would have sent him back down there with someone else to help him out and then i think you all raised really good points that he would be sufficiently humbled by the experience he would recognize that it was his own hubris and his own pride that got blaster killed he'd have no one else to blame but himself i could see that as also leading into sort of a depressive period for master in which he might not be that cooperative because he's in mourning but then we're getting into feelings and i don't think we've been concerned with feelings since the first movie so then we've got <laughs> no. we've got master who's depressed and i imagine him stumbling around drunk the equipment falling into disrepair, and then that gets us back to where we are here. Yep. Where we, we, we we're, in a, we're in a power outage. <laughs> we're in a power outage one way or another, and Auntie's going to come down and say, we need to set this right. Perhaps the scene is inevitable then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to come to this no matter what. Can we think of any better plans that Auntie could have thought of aside from just straight up killing Blaster when it comes to taking more control in Underworld? Well, I think it goes to what Julie was saying earlier about, uh, I mean, if this is the world that Master has been wielding control with, that it is very likely that it's rigged in a way where he's you know, probably the only person who can effectively run it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know... As, as the brains of the operation, it does seem like that's something that he would do so that he would be, they would be forced to always have to work with him. I can imagine a situation in which Auntie sends a new worker down to Underworld and that worker goes to Master Blaster and be like, Master Blaster, it's just you running all of the particulars here in Underworld. You should disseminate some of that information to your helpers yes spread that information around that way if you're ever feeling under the weather you can take a day off and so master 
starts telling little bits and pieces to all of his assistants. And then you just pay off those assistants to write down all the information that they get from Master. And then before you know it, you've got a operations manual for the power supply of Bartertown. And then once you have that book together, you don't need Master anymore. I think something that she could have done that would have been less scheming or less unkind, she could have offered him retirement, like a cushy retirement. We know that the actor was in his 70s and we have no reason to think that the character of Master wasn't also in his 70s. Don't you think he'd like to have a nice, relaxing, safe retirement? He could be up there lounging, eating fruit, listening to some sax music rather than being down with the pigs and the smell. I mean, yeah, that would be a shrewd offer of, you know what, you're going to hand over some control of this so that we can maintain power here in Bartertown, but here's what you get. Yeah, she, I guess the economics in Bartertown are a little uh, skewed there where, you know, that does sound like a, how could you turn that offer down? Get out of the dark, stinky pit and be up here with me. But I guess, you know, it is also post-apocalyptic wasteland where, you know, sure, he could go for that deal, hand over power, then what's to stop her from, you know, having him killed? I feel like the relationship between Auntie and Master was strained by the fact that they never physically saw each other. By the fact that Auntie was always in her penthouse and Master was always in Underworld. I feel like if she had offered him a retirement where she basically invited him up to the penthouse and they just spent all day working together, I feel like that would go a long way in this hypothetical situation, of course, to repairing that relationship that they once had. Because I feel like they had a good working relationship together at one point, and that this distance between them, physically speaking, is what created a rift professionally and emotionally between them as time went on. Yeah. Yeah. See, they just both need to sit down, read some Dale Carnegie, you know, and just learn how to work with people. That's what they needed there in Barter Town. <laughs> I think I definitely would have taken that deal. But definitely not retiring to Auntie's penthouse. I want a place of my own. What that place is like the coolest. It's like it it's it's like uh Tony Scott designed that place because you've got like the the shadowy, you know, you've got the glowy curtains, you've got sax music. What what more could you want? That's like the coolest place. Privacy. <laughs> I don't want to go live with Auntie. I want a cool place, but I want a cool place of my own. Oh, okay. Guess we just have to make sure there's enough hard labor to build that place. <sighs> yes. Knowing Bartertown, there's probably no shortage of hard labor. <laughs> you could even build a structure that just looks like a giant representation of Blaster and build Master a little house up in the head. Type of thing. <laughs> That way he's always up there oh. looking down on everyone. There's a little Pacific Rim house. Uh, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> oh, I so want a deleted scene of, a, of that. That's what I really want to see. Yes. <laughs> and then you can have a little zip line going from Master's Tower thing up to Auntie's Penthouse thing, and they can go back and forth between them. You know, that sounds pretty awesome to me. That does. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't love... Uh, 
treehouse or a fort or something like that with zip lines going back and forth between friends' locations. Yeah, because, well, Auntie's got her zip line that takes her down to Thunderdome, right? Is there a whole... Yeah, there's got to be a whole, like, uh, tram system there, aerial tram system in in Bartertown to get from one place (laughs) to another. That's, again, part of the deal she should have offered him. Hey, come live up here. We can easily get around without having to be worried about the crowds and down on the street. We just zip line ourselves from place to place. Mm Mm-hmm. Or stilts, because we did see stilts guy when you first come into town. <laughs> that Now, that would be interesting, See seeing Master on some ginormous stilts making his way through town. Yeah, that would be something. Not quite sure what it would be, but it would be something. <laughs> All of this talk about Auntie and Master, the next thing we get in this minute, as Master is down there amongst the pigs, startling to stand up, Auntie shows up out of seemingly nowhere. She barges in yelling, enough! That's enough. And I find it interesting, as the movie goes on, we're seeing Auntie descend lower and lower. She started off just in her penthouse. She descended slightly to the viewing platform of Thunderdome. From there, she leapt down into Thunderdome. And now she's descending all the way down to Underworld. Ooh, symbolism. Nice. I like it. Coming down from that high ground, so to speak. And she's still higher up than Master. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting down and dirty in there. Yeah, to me, this, I don't know what it was, maybe because of, uh, I don't know if it's in her mannerisms or just, I guess, the juvenile way everyone sort of, beha- this scene, you know, it's like, it's like a bullying fight on the playground and the teacher just, you know, came in to break it up like, that's enough, split this up. <laughs> you know, is it, it's just, there's something about that where it's like, she maybe because she's so much just taller, it's like, here's two little kids like fighting on the playground. She's going to smack him around to break up the fight. You know, it's like, that that's enough. Stop it. This is nonsense. Everybody get back to work. Yeah, you can tell that Auntie is coming down specifically because she knows that this is not an embargo. Right. Master's not in a position to throw his weight around like that anymore, so something must be wrong. Iron Bar's being a typical 8th grade bully is what's going on. Yes, he is. <laughs> Which is clear at the end when he rolls his eyes <laughs> as, she, <laughs> as she tells him to stop. <laughs> He, like, all of a sudden pretends he had nothing to do with it. Right. Oh, I'm just standing here. I don't know. He's the big bully until mom shows him. It's like, well, I don't know. He was just, you know, he just fell off the ledge into the pigs. I don't know what happened. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Auntie shows up and she says, do you want to use him or kill him? And then she looks over at the guard. She says, bring him up. And as far as being killed by pigs, I guess that technically depends on what the pigs have been eating. If they've been eating human flesh, they would get the taste for it. And that's why they're particularly aggressive. But it's just a gruesome idea. Well, that's all I could think of when he was going down there. It's like, it's just like Hannibal. They're going to feed him to the pigs. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I do like how Auntie has, you know, I'm sure there's just her clothes for the next day. But it's just like these are these are her clothes that she shows herself in when she's going down to the underworld. It's like a much darker, <laughs> darker chainmail outfit that she's wearing now. Right. It's like an added shawl right. that she's wearing. But the same earrings, the same gigantic Music. earring things that she has. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even, we didn't even talk about it. And I'm not sure I even really thought about it until just now. But it, it struck me that that she did not go out to, uh, to Max and the Gulag out in the desert when everybody else did. She let that, uh, she let uh, Iron Bar and uh, Dr. Dealgood handle that whole thing. And I guess she was just mm-hmm. running running barter town she just didn't bother with herself with that but uh when it comes to the the nitty-gritty of running the town like this particular problem she's right there no that's a that's an interesting point of her yeah she doesn't 
step outside the limits of of barter town that's her sort of her realm her her domain we don't see her outside the the city city walls uh, yet yeah not till yeah. the end of the movie after barter town's been destroyed does she leave it yeah right huh. she knows her place in the world yeah well i think maybe yeah uh, she doesn't want to get her hands dirty with that i mean again it's that if you're, you know, coming back to our discussion of the wheel, you know, and, and Auntie's choice, these things play out and she can always keep herself distant from those. She's, you know, she's not the one making these decisions. She can keep her hands clean. She's not there participating in the gulag because she's got to represent, you know, authority and justice and, and those things. So if she doesn't need to associate herself with those things, mm-hmm. perhaps. She's doing that thing that we see later on in Fury Road where the person in charge stays above everybody else. Yes. Right. So that they can be admired from below, admired from a distance. Mm. I think Ned Stark would disagree with that philosophy. <laughs> well, there are some people that would argue that Ned Stark is not a very good politician and therefore not a very good leader. But we don't need to lose our heads over that. <laughs> so the guard that Auntie was talking to starts pulling Master up. And we're going to catch up with this scene on Monday. We have come to the end of the week. Steve, Andy, it's been great having you. It's always nice to reach outside of the normal Movies by Minutes crew to find some new guests to bring on. It's been great having you. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, you know, jumping back into this film, which, uh, as we said earlier in the week, we haven't really talked about it uh, in our show for uh, several years. So it was nice to revisit it and uh, and check out this this nice little chunk of, uh, of the movie that was uh, really fun to see again. Yeah. So where can people find more of your stuff online? Where should they go? Uh, we're all over the place as The Next Reel. So uh, if you go to thenextreel.com, you can find uh, find information about our shows, um, all the back episodes, the what we're doing currently, and, uh, and just you know tune into whatever your podcatcher is and, and check out The Next Reel. Yeah, because we've got a, a variety of shows there because we've got our, our main series. We've got our film board where we do... Uh, sort of a popular film that's a, a new release. We've got, Andy, you guys do the, the speakeasy where you've got uh, Film Insider. So we've got a whole variety of uh, podcasts focused on on film over there at thenextreel.com. And we mentioned that you did a full Mad Max retrospective series of episodes about three years ago. How long have you been doing The Next Reel? You know, we started it back in uh, toward the end of 2011, and it's a weekly show. We've been putting out an episode a month, uh, or sorry, an episode a week um, pretty consistently. I think last year was the first year where we actually took a month off. So there's a, there's a lot of back catalog for people to dig into if they want to. So if people are still hungry for more talk in podcast form about movies, they now have an extensive backlog to pick from. Absolutely. You can go check that out. As for us... Here at the end of the week, we are pretty much done till Monday, unless people want more from us, because we can be found also on our Patreon website, patreon.com slash madmaxmin, where you can catch up on our extra show that we affectionately call Anarchy Road. We are in week 14 of our coverage of Hook, five minutes at a time. This week, we're going to see Captain Hook and Smee cook up a fiendish plan to turn Peter's children against him. We're going to see Peter getting trained by Rufio and the other Lost Boys to little immediate effect. Uh, And then we're going to join Captain Hook once again as he drops some hard knowledge on poor, sweet, innocent Maggie. I'm looking forward to that scene. I really like it. 
I am too. Maggie is such a wonderful character and is so well played by Amber Scott, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I also really appreciate the dialogue, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Because as for the main show, we are going to pick up with Master on Monday as he's pulled up out of the pig pit and told to behave. Across the room, we're going to see what Pig Killer's up to. He's got some schemes a-hatching that involve Sally Ann and a water bottle going out of a pipe. So we'll have plenty of fun catching up with them after the weekend. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 42 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody!